Everything said on the Couplings Fire podcast are our opinions and in no way represent the opinions and values of any agency we are associated with. Hey, this is the Couplings Fire podcast. Here's a couple of things you might need to know or maybe you just forgot. I'm Chris. And I'm Taylor. We're married. And we're both firefighters. Join us as we talk anything and everything fire related. Based out of small town, rural Nebraska, we bring our unique challenges and solutions to the table every episode. Our goal? better the rural volunteer firefighting community one person at a time let's get on to the episode okay testing oh hey i'm hot <laughs> hot mic hot mic hot mic you are hot <laughs> so what are we talking about tonight chris i don't know what are we talking about oh maybe we should say hi yeah uh, hi. Hi. That caught me off guard. <laughs> what, you had to prepare for it? I did have to prepare for it. When did you have to prepare for it? <laughs> Welcome, you guys. Um, Thank back you for to ju- our oh, podcast. Yeah. I'm just going to, like, talk all over you, sorry. Go for it. <laughs> no, go ahead. I'll shut up. No, go ahead. Mm-hmm. You first. I was just talking because you weren't. Oh, well, welcome back, guys. Yeah, uh, hi. Time for another one to hit your ears. Hopefully you're still listening and didn't stop it right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, we hope you're having a good night or good day or whatever time. And I wonder what time most people listen to podcasts. I tend to listen to them all throughout the day, but I usually listen to them more in the morning. I listen to my morning afternoon. Okay. So. Yeah, just I'm curious. Yeah. But the day kind of calms down. Mm-hmm. Get a chance to listen to them. Way not to fall asleep after lunch. Yep. Exactly. So. Anyway. Uh, anyway, uh, so it's freezing. It's still. below freezing. It's way below freezing still. What is the official temp now at nine o'clock at night? Let's find out. It is officially negative eighteen, but it feels like negative thirty-four. Yeah, and it's supposed to get down to negative thirty. So I wonder what the feels like is gonna be. It's going to suck either way. <laughs> it's going to suck. With <laughs> the rolling blackouts. Oh, my goodness. usually only happen in the summer if we're lucky. And Screwed us all up today. I was working on stuff and power went out. And it's like, oh, that sucks. Because <laughs> they don't have to work anymore. <laughs> For like half an hour. And then within that time, too, that we had an automatic alarm go off. Not even an automatic alarm. It was someone's smoke alarm at their house. Yeah. Went off. And second time we got called there today and... Uh, I think they ended up replacing the batteries. <laughs> I'm going to go back, so. Uh, it's been but, a few hours since then. <laughs> yeah, just a few. Anyway, yeah, nothing new. Just cold. Just cold. Really cold. As long as I've been in my adult life, I don't think I've ever, ever known of, uh, I can't get my words together. A stretch of cold weather like this? Yes, it's usually been like a day or two. Nothing like this. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know that I can recall a whole week below zero. Zero. Or at zero below. Like, yeah. Or close to zero mm-hmm. anyway. It's ridiculous. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's nothing new for people like up in like North Dakota or Minnesota or something like that. Like, they're probably kind of used to stuff. Minnesota. Minnesota. I can't. I, I, okay. People are think think I'm making fun of them. <laughs> I actually have never been able to say it that well. And I just did it really well. <laughs> I can't help it. Every time I say Minnesota. Minnesota. I always do that. <laughs> Can't help it. Everyone's like, Nebraska. 
wash your car at the car wash. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Ope. Uh, <laughs> I think that's all over, though. Wisconsin deals with that, too. Ope. <sighs> I did not realize how much I said that until, like, I realized it was a thing that Midwesterners say it. And to me, it's like, the reason I say it is, to me, it's a mix between whoops and oops or oh sorry and so it all gets mixed together into an ope and I thought it was just me and then I realized that other people said it and it was a big thing that like was funny with Midwest I'm like I thought I was just getting my words mixed up like I always do nope you hear it all the time (laughs) so yeah it's cold here I broke my snowblower yesterday (laughs) you've had to use your snowblower more this year than the entire last like five years yeah I know (laughs) We're only in the middle of February. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway, so, moving on from yeah, current events. Yeah, moving on. Because <laughs> there are no current events, just cold weather. Yeah. Um, what were we talking about? I was going to ask you that. What the first five minutes on scene should look like. I feel like I need to come up front, with like better names for front these. Front and back, even. Front and back. Well, we decide that usually front and back, each side means half half an hour that's what you were trying to figure out yeah but uh i don't know that for sure because the one on the front is just like really tiny like super quick there's like three lines yeah there's like three lines of like almost nothing (laughs) so the back's gonna be like the big part so when we flip our pages if you can hear that (laughs) we're getting into the good stuff yeah so basically tonight we're gonna go over taylor and i's opinion on what the first five minutes of your fire scene should probably look like. Yeah. Uh, the reason I was thinking that this was really important is uh, being on a volunteer department, and we didn't do a whole lot of scenario-based training of, like, what each person should be doing in their quote-unquote job and stuff in the first five minutes or even on scene. We did a lot of skills, and we do a lot of skills, but not necessarily the scenario-based And so when we get on scene for things, uh, I see not just myself, but other firefighters kind of either running around not knowing what to do, or they ask way too many questions to the officers and get annoyed, and, or they just stand around and do nothing because they don't want to be quote-unquote freelancing. Yeah. And people don't understand the difference between freelancing and knowing what to do. So we decided to kind of put our, our own opinion of kind of guidelines of ways we want to see things play out for different types of fire scenes. For the yeah. first five minutes. And this is by no means, don't get us wrong here, this isn't to the T of how our department works. Yeah. And most of the time it doesn't work this way, but I think it's nice to work for an ideal situation and ideal, this is ideally what you should be doing. Yeah. Everyone has told me since day one, every fire is different. There is no quote unquote ideal fire. We can't really teach you how to do something like that or to how to have one um, set set of rules and then stray from that. Well, I think I think it's possible, and that's what we're going to try to do. Is basically we're going to kind of give you our opinion on if you go to this type of a thing, this is what you should be doing, and then you can stray from that with whatever you come basically up on. Basically, you're training for a standard. Yeah. Now that you say it like that, yeah, kind of you're training for a standard. And yeah, and you're able to deviate from, from as much as you want, but at least yeah. when you get on scene, at least you know that the guys are trained to this way. Yeah, you know what to expect out of them. Yeah, and you can be like, oh, hey, you guys, this is going to be a little bit different, so we're going to change this. Or, hey, we actually don't need, like, to do this certain thing because it's not applicable or something. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and you're absolutely right. As an officer, going to a scene and having 
10 guys standing behind you waiting for you to tell them to do something that you feel should be done automatically (laughs) is super annoying. Yeah. So, yeah, we've been, quote, unquote, almost scared into not doing anything because we've been told it's almost freelancing. So we're trying to to stop that norm from happening, from continuing any right. longer. We're trying to give people the confidence on our department to know what the standard is and what what is our right to do on their own. <laughs> is there a ghost in here? <laughs> I don't know. That was creepy. Random, it sounded like it came from the host tower. Yeah, random ticking in the host tower. That was weird. Mysterious ticking noise in the fire station. <laughs> it's haunted. Uh, yeah, it's only not just for our department, but for your guys' department, if you guys are a firefighter, these are some basics that even, it, honestly, most departments you're on, you should be able to do at least some of this. If nothing else, you just have to put things back on the truck. Like, yeah. to me, it's not that bad. You're not getting into any of the actual big tactical things when you get to this. When yeah. we're going through these things. So if you're a firefighter or an officer, um, it should be a fairly informative podcast for you. Yeah. If nothing else, look at you thinking about, huh, do we actually train our department this way or not? Or to actually know what to do in the first five minutes and to actually proactively do those things without you telling them. Or maybe you'll have a fire the next week and you'll be like, hey, they're right. Nobody does anything the first <laughs> five minutes. Yeah. Because obviously you want to get water on the fire as quick as you can. That's the best way to do it. But There's so much else that goes along with that, though. Right, yeah. you got to be efficient at what you do to do that. And I think training everyone for the first five minutes is kind of like training a sports team for the last two minutes of a game that you're behind in. Mm-hmm. That's, old. That's a good analogy. Yeah. We're always five minutes behind. We're always behind the eight ball when we go to a fire. Yeah, we, we are. You're just not figuring this out? I just not thought of it. I'm not for this. Oh, like you're saying like behind as in points as in... What? Explain. <laughs> <laughs> like when you, when you play sports, you always train worst case scenario. Like there's two minutes left in the game and you're down by two, two or three points. And you have to figure out a way to make those points in the last two minutes of the game. You know, it's a very crucial moment. But when you go to a fire scene... We're never called until somebody it's recognizes bad. it. Yeah. And then when they recognize it, it's we're behind the eight ball already because we got to get to the station, we got to get dressed, we got to get in the trucks, get to scene. Yeah, we don't man station here, you guys. It's completely so, responding from home. So In town, I think our average response time was like eight minutes or something like mm-hmm. that. At least. Which isn't it's bad. Not horrible by any means. It's not bad for a volunteer department. No. And that's, I guess that's probably more weekends and stuff like that. But during the day, it's probably closer to 15 minutes when everyone's working. Oh, yeah. Uh, we might get one truck there within, like, 10 minutes, but the second truck's definitely not coming until, like, 15 minutes. Unless it comes in so, as something raging. Yeah, we're kind of always behind the eight ball. So training, yeah. training for that scenario, the first five minutes of that scenario, to be as efficient as you can be to get the right outcome. Yeah. In order to train those guys, you train them for the first five minutes on scene. Makes you more efficient. Mm-hmm. Puts everyone on the same page. <laughs> you yeah. might have to keep that one. I'll have, to, I'll have to word that one. I don't know. I'll figure something out there. There is a ghost. That's creepy. <laughs> All right. So our first little bullet point note here. What do you got? Uh, being on the same page as in your whole department. And this really relies on your training. Please elaborate. Uh, doing scenario-based training. And not just doing skills. Skills are great, and you need the skills. 
but you need to do scenario-based. And before you do your first scenario-based training, you need to go over with everybody what you expect from them. Otherwise, so, they're, you're sending them into the scenario training blind. So I think what you need to do is actually train the skills and then put the skills together. Yes. That's yes. kind of what I meant. Because we already do the skills training. Yes, we do. I'm saying for them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do the skills training. Say for structure fire, do all the skills that you think would be required for that first five minutes on scene. Mm-hmm. And then run a training or a drill to simulate that first five minutes and put all those skills together. Yeah, and it's not just necessarily one crew doing it. You know, if you have it where your second truck shows up within a minute or two minutes of your first truck usually, which for ours, it, it tends to, you know, within a couple minutes, add in that second truck when it gets to that couple minute mark and have them come in on the scenario too, you know? Yeah, for sure. Actually run it like you like one of your house fires has been. Like, or... Uh, Calls, not even house fires. We're going off house fires right now because I think that's what everyone thinks of yeah. when they think of first five minutes on scene. We're going to be touching more than just house fires on this podcast, though. Yeah, like Taylor was saying, this relies a lot on your training. Um, being on the same page as a whole department, it's a big communication. So maybe you've taught all these skills already and you're getting ready to do the scenario drill. Maybe you need to take 20 minutes sit down with all the guys and explain okay this is what we expect in the first five minutes these are the jobs they need done this is the order they need done in mm-hmm. that sort of deal it's just making sure everyone on the department is like you said on the same page yeah everyone knows the same rules knows the same guidelines mm-hmm. knows how everything works together so Any, next anything more on that one i don't I mean. okay so um, the next thing to tackle would be freelancing versus knowing what to do. And this is something I, I have noticed 100% in our department. People are afraid because they think it's freelancing. Yes. Um, our last chief was a little more of a... Micromanager? Micromanager. That's a good way of putting it. And if he didn't know what you were doing or if he didn't give you a specific task to do... You kind of got chewed out like you're freelancing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with the best intentions. Mm-hmm. Definitely not. I think he may have had some things happen. I don't know for sure. But I'm assuming the only reason he got to that point is because things happened to him before where he didn't know what was going on. He was making decisions and something else was going on without him knowing. Right, exactly. There so, wasn't that plan in place that he knew what to expect from mm-hmm. everyone. So. so that's how he ended up micromanaging. And yes, he'd tell the officers to do something or head something, but it was even more of people direct firefighters were talking and asking the chief specifically what to do yeah so the chief had 25 guys that were running around asking him instead of officers managing five guys each mm-hmm. so freelancing in case you don't know is just doing a job or a task or something without someone telling you and that could could of, ultimately undermine the entire thing yeah that's not expected you've not been told to do um you're on your own you're just kind of doing your own thing yes that's freelance now if it's expected of you if you guys have trained on before or talked about or whatnot if it's expected that is not freelancing unless someone specifically tells you not to do it then you go still do it that is freelancing but yeah so if you know if you pull up to a structure fire and you go around the back of the house or the side of the house for something to start breaking windows 
that's most likely freelancing. But if that's how your department operates, like that's your guys' first go-to is to go smash all the windows in. I don't recommend it. Please don't. Yeah. But <laughs> if that's how your department operates, then it's not freelancing. So, so he looks around to... Everyone knows what to expect. So let's throw something out. You know, let's say you go around in your 360 and there's a victim there. Okay. For me, freelancing would be trying to get that victim out while I'm there alone. Versus going back to the officer and saying, hey, yo, there's a victim back here. Let's figure something out. That's a pretty extreme case, but... But, okay, okay, how about another one? Like, like are, you can tell they're inside that room right there, or like they're halfway out the door? You can tell they're inside that room. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like they're like halfway out the door. Oh, no. <laughs> like, like, if that was me, I'd just freaking grab them. <laughs> but, but, like, if they're on like the second story or something like that, right, you know, yeah. like... You need to at least read it and be like, hey, we got a victim back here. Yeah. Yeah. That's different than just barreling in that back door, the back open door, running upstairs and go getting the victim. That's freelancing. Yeah. Because some of the ba- very bad could happen, especially if your crew at the front door is about ready to break that front door oh, open yeah. and you create a flow path oh, and yeah. you're fried to death. Exactly. So, so. so I know that's an extreme case, but I think that's a really good example of freelancing versus knowing what to do. You know, if you find a victim or you, you have an idea that a victim is there, especially on the second floor, you can't get to them easily you got to communicate that with other people on scene so at least they know what's happening. Even if you are the officer. You need to radio that in so that what you're expecting of the guys in the front, and they're, you know, what if you expect them to make entry without you telling them? Some some departments do that. Absolutely. And so if you expect that of them and you don't tell them that you're going in the back door to get a victim, they may open that door, possibly open a flow path, and burn you to death. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so yeah, freelancing versus knowing what to do is a big thing. So we don't want to have anyone scared into thinking that they're freelancing. As long as you talk it over with your department, hopefully you practice the things that you're going to be going over in scenario-based training. That's not freelancing. Yeah. You should have basically a set, in this case, the first five minutes, you have, should have a set of rules, a set a guideline saying this is what we do in the first five minutes. Anything other than these specific things need to go back to an officer. Yep. And it's open to be... Changed? Yeah, it's open to be changed on a whim by the officer if need be to anything they need. But this way, the officers know what to expect out of their guys. Yes. You don't have to have extra communication because the officer already knows that, hey, when these guys get off the truck, they're going to go smash all the windows. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to walk around the house and then come back to the truck and get a tool. Or the officer already knows what to expect out of you. Yeah. So. I think we're going to beat that one with a dead horse. Beat, beat it with <laughs> You already beat that one with a dead horse? I said that completely wrong. That one's coming. That one's not going in. Yes, <laughs> it is. You got to keep that one. You, we beat that one with a dead horse, so we're moving on. <laughs> Ask if you don't know something. Stop wasting time. Oh, I oh actually, before we... Okay, we can go to that one, then we'll go back. I had another one. Oh, oh you got one more in there? Yeah, the talk of oh. the cab. Okay, sorry. We're going back to freelancing versus knowing what to do. Well, like, it's after that. This is, like, a whole, like, another point that I didn't oh, know where to put it. Oh, a whole other point. Okay. Well, maybe that's kind of the same point. So this one, I can't decide if it's actually under the freelancing versus knowing what to do, if it's a whole other point. So basically, talking in the cab on the way to your scene, um, I know, like, going out to, and maybe it's be better to talk later or talk now. I don't know. I don't know. This example. Just put it in there. Okay, so... I know for us, we went to a big grass fire a month ago, and on that one going on the way out, there were three of us in the back. 
So for me, I hadn't been on a big grass fire like ever that big of a of a thing or anything. Um, and so I didn't know what to do with all these extra people in the back seat. And I knew we wouldn't all be going out to the back, but I didn't know what we were supposed to be doing necessarily. So I was looking to our officer, and I think he was trying to kind of busy trying to think of what we were going to do when we got there. And I understand. But me as a firefighter in the back, I wanted to have some sort of guidance going to that. So I asked him, I was like, hey, I'm assuming we're not all three jumping on the back, right? And he's like, no, we're going to have two of you get off on the back. We're going to grab somebody else from our pumper coming out, and we're going to have that other person come in here, and we're going to have two of you guys in the back seat resting up while you have two on the back, and then you guys are going to switch as need be, back and forth. Awesome. Well, if I hadn't have brought that up, I'm sure it would have gotten talked about eventually, yes. But it was nice to already know and figure out who was going to go on the back and try to figure out kind of the first plan of attack for a truck. You as a firefighter appreciated the plan of attack. Oh, yes, definitely. Had an idea of what was going to happen. Yeah, of course. You know, especially if we're going to somewhere, like, we could see any car wreck in general. Yeah. Okay, so you go on a car wreck in general, and I've been on a first truck out to a car wreck, and we didn't talk about what we needed to do or anything or who was doing what once we got there. We got to there. The officer jumps out of the truck, and we all jump out of the truck, but me as a firefighter, never been on a car wreck before, well, being on the first truck of a car wreck before, I didn't know what I was supposed to do right away. I kind of knew how extrication kind of worked because we've been to the trains of the skills, but I didn't know the order of things or what I needed to do, what I needed to actually grab off the truck for the first couple minutes or anything like that. I had no idea. And the officer was going trying to figure things out. So he didn't want me asking him questions, so I'm just kind of running around like the chick with my head cut off trying to figure out what to do, you know, and... So the better thing to do would be either you three in the back of that truck asking each other, okay, hey, are you going to grab the hose line? Are you going to grab this tool? Are you going to grab this tool? Yes. Try to divide that. At that time, we had one person who was semi, semi-knowledgeable on car wrecks and another one who was not, and then definitely me who was not. You know, and the person in the middle wasn't wasn't starting that conversation of what to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't think would have invited me asking that, having that conversation and bringing it up. So if you had that first five-minute guideline... It'd be good. It'd be amazing. Oh, yeah. you have a better idea of what you needed to do. Yes. But for some reason, if I didn't know that guideline or people, whatever, it's not a bad thing just to say, okay, just so you guys remember, you guys are supposed to do this, this, and then this, and whatever, and then we'll take it from there. Or if we come up on this, this is what we're going to do first. You know, so, this is how you set up. So what you're saying is if the, offer, if the officer... Officer? Ossifer? Ossifer. <laughs> if the officer does not initiate this conversation of, hey, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, you in the back and the jump seats need to have that conversation among your, amongst yourself. Yes, and it needs to be open. It needs to be accepted by everyone in the back. Just because there there are plenty of times I go to stuff I have no idea what's going on, jump off the truck, and I almost feel like I'm more of a liability than I am a help. Yep. I mean, now that I've been going on more and stuff and actively in it, I know a lot more. Right. But first few times each type of call, I feel like I'm a liability and I'm doing no good. Yep. And why have a volunteer firefighter who's a liability and does no good on the first try? Why not set them up for success? Sorry, that got deep. Um, yeah, that got serious. <laughs> Back off. We're in the fire department here. All right, last one. Yes, last one. 
Oh, you want me to do yeah. it again? <laughs> Ask if you don't know something. Stop wasting time. Yeah. Go ahead and explain it. I spend a lot of time talking. People don't want to hear me. <laughs> you write out these bullet points. Well, if you didn't agree with them, you tell me when we go over it. <laughs> so, uh, doesn't always happen in the first five minutes, but I have definitely seen it happen in the first five minutes where we are looking for a specific tool on a truck or a specific action needs taken, uh, say a door needs forced, and we send someone to the truck to get the axe because we already have the Halligan. We just need the axe to do it. Um, And people don't know where things are on the truck. Mm -hmm. Well, we're trying to get to a fire, and if you don't know where that is... A lot of times the fastest way to deal with that problem is just to ask, hey, where is the axe at? And they can tell you it's in this compartment on this side of the truck. Swallow your pride. Yes. I would much rather it happen quickly than have you looking around for it for two minutes before someone comes to you and grabs it and says, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's much to that one. Just if you don't know something that's either going on or where something's located or... Or if someone has you setting up a ladder and you don't know how to do it. Mm. Tell someone you don't know how to do it instead of trying to do it on your own and either taking forever doing it or possibly doing more harm than good either to yourself or to the situation. Right, yeah. So. So. Pretty self-explanatory in that one. Just five minutes doesn't take very long to blow through five minutes on a fire scene so every minute's valuable we'll leave it at that so yeah we'll beat that dead horse with another dead horse (laughs) oh i just say too many things where i just can't live them down and that's gonna be one of them isn't it yep uh just a lot of crap huh (laughs) a lot of crap (laughs) all right so we're gonna move on here we're on the back now and we're going to kind of go over structure fire, grass fire, car rack, and automatic alarms. And we'll kind of go over what Taylor and I like to see, or would like to see in the first five minutes in an ideal situation. Yeah. So this so. is uh, catered to our department specifically, um, to what we usually see. But we will tell you some caveats that you could uh, have for your department as we go, if we remember to. <laughs> We will try. We will try. If nothing else, this gets you to think of what you guys want to see on your own for the first five minutes. And yeah. you may not agree with us at all. That's yeah. fine. These, these are just ideas for you, things to ponder. Um, if you want to set your department up this way, that's great. If you want to set it up completely different, that's great. Just the main point of this whole podcast is know what you expect out of your guys from the first five minutes and give them the confidence to do that. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start with automatic alarms. So when you show up to these, they're pretty pretty easy, honestly. You're more in the quote unquote investigative mode when you're doing this. So you're not gonna be like you're not gonna be pulling off a cross layer or a hose line right away. What I like to think of it as if you have nothing showing and no signs of a fire or anything, I would be doing the investigative mode first. Which consists of <laughs> I'm I was just stating as a fact then to get into it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, which consists of, first of all, when you come off the truck, I understand it's not a mic alarm, and we all do it. You, I would be very impressed if somebody says they've never come off a truck with an automatic alarm half-dressed, because we all do it at one point or another. We've all done it. So, for the automatic alarms, you should be coming off ready to fight. 
All right, so that's full gear. Coat and pants, preferably zipped up. Coat coming off with an air pack on your back, strapped on. You don't have to have your mask on, but it should be around your neck or hooked to your pack in some sort of fashion. Your helmet's on. You got your notebooks ready to go. Make sure you have your gloves with you. I mean, like, just the basic stuff. And then make sure you're grabbing a thermal camera and a tool. Basically, you're going to be doing the same thing as you would if you were on that hose line going in for a hose advancement, except for you're just going to go into investigative mode to look around. Yeah. So, you want your gear, like Taylor's saying, you want your gear, you want an air pack, and you want a tool. Mm-hmm. If you walk in there, there's no smoke. Heck, if you want, sorry, if you want to grab a water can, go ahead and grab that, too. Yeah. It's easy I to mean, carry with you. Yep. Take stuff that's portable, easy to carry around. And the reason for this is if you get in there and you don't run into smoke or fire or whatever, you have your gear with you. You're still protected. You can still do a little bit of uh, extinguishment. And at that point, you can radio back to the truck and say, hey, yes, we do have a fire. Mm -hmm. That way you're actually on the ball for something instead of being however far behind getting ready for this call on, on responding to it. Yep. The other side of the coin is is... We're investigative. We're not pulling cross legs, so mm-hmm. you don't have to take the time to relay a cross leg. You don't have to drain water out of a hose or anything like that. Because, being honest, you know probably eighty percent of the time a false alarm is going to be a false alarm. Mm-hmm. But we have to be prepared. I'd say for, it's like ninety-five percent of the time. Or around here, it's like ninety-nine percent of the time. <laughs> but um, we do have to be prepared for that one percent of the time that we might actually have an actual fire there, and we oh, don't yeah. want to be behind the eight ball. And, like, for us, a lot of our false alarms come in nursing homes. And if we're behind, that could be life or death for oh, yeah. one of the residents. Or there. more than one. Yeah. So we'd still need to be prepared. Um, but there is that line that we can be prepared and not have to spend a half hour on scene re-rolling hose and stuff like that. Yeah. People say it's too much work and why get all that dressed? Okay, how much longer does it actually take and how much harder is it to put... To carry an air pack around your back and grab either a halogen or a, a New York hook or something in your hand and go around a building. It's not that hard. It's not that much extra effort. So to take a couple extra seconds to do it um, and then take an extra minute or two putting stuff back on the truck when you get back. It's, it's no big deal. You're going to look a whole lot more professional walking through that building and ready to go rather than just in bunker pants or even with your coat and unzipped. Yeah. I, I think there's... No reason for that. It brings a professional side to it as well. So Yeah, and this is something I've been guilty of in the past, and I will admit that, and I am I'm going to change. So yeah, it's hard at three o'clock in the morning for sure. <laughs> yes. So, but anyway, so that's kind of our automatic alarm. Uh, we call that kind of an investigative mode. Still ready for action, but not fully equipped for say. Yeah. Alrighty, what's the next one? The next one we're going on to is the typical structure fires. The way we're going to do this one, you guys, we're going to divide it into two different takes on it. We're going to do little fire and big fire. They're going to be mostly the same, but uh, the big fire is going to be set up just a little bit differently. Maybe some things are done in a different order or have a little bit higher priority. So do you want to explain the differences, Chris, between big fire and little fire for us? So the big fire, little fire... Uh, to put it simply, is our officer's personal judgment call based on his knowledge and his experience. That's the easiest way we're going to explain it. So, mm-hmm. so for kind of for a little <clears throat> fire with us, with us, we're going to say it's a lot of light smoke, 
it's going to be more of like your room and contents type fire of what you would roll up to seeing that. And the big fire is going to be anything bigger than that, being multiple rooms, whole floors, or entire buildings. Yep. You could also divide that into experience. If your crew um, or if your guys in the department there have, you know, if this looks like a fire that they're fairly comfortable with, that could be considered a little fire. Mm-hmm. If it looks or appears to be a fire that's bigger than what you guys typically go to or are used to, classify that as a big fire. That's a good way of putting it. That is a good way of I putting it. I like that. I just thought that. <laughs> um, that's a good compromise because uh, Chris and I disagree a little bit on our uh, the top end of the little fires. It seems like my little fire goes a little bit bigger than his little fire. So. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the best way of putting that. So. Um, if it's more than what you guys are used to handling it, maybe you need to classify it as a big fire. Or maybe you won't use the system at all. It's up to you. So it's just a call that our officer can make from the front seat, and it gives us guys in the back a pretty good idea of how we need to do things and what we need to do. Yeah, and currently so. currently our department does not do this, but this is something we'd like to see. Yep, for sure. So with a little fire, the first thing we're going to do when we get on scene is do a 360. And this is not. This is going to be for sure the officer on the truck, but not just the officer. It's going to be at least one person, if not both people, who are going to go in on your hand line. Yep. And this this comes from uh, my personal experience of going into house fires and stuff like that. When we go to fires, if I'm going in on a hand line, while they're getting that cross lay pulled, my other guys on my crew are getting that cross lay pulled, I'm doing the 360. So... A minimum, to me, a minimum of one person on that interior crew should do a 360. Mm -hmm. Know where your exits are, your windows are, um, if you got a walkout basement, just kind of the general layout of the house. Well, yeah, doing a 360, you might see on that that, oh, hey, this is exactly where the fire is, so why not let's hold a cross lake to the back? Or we need to relocate the truck maybe to the alley. Right. And if you can get everyone that's going to be on that cross lake to do a 360, um, that is ideal. You're setting up your situational awareness. Yeah, you're setting up your situational awareness. It's much safer. And like Taylor said, you know, maybe you can get to the fire through one or two doors if you go in the back door instead of going through the front door and having to go all the way to the back of the house. You yeah, know? I think a lot of times a lot of departments, a lot of volunteer departments get stuck on going in the front door and that's it. Yep. So 360 first for um, your officer and then your interior guys. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, next thing we're going to be doing is we're going to be pulling a cross leg, grabbing your tool, grabbing a tick, stuff like that. Yep. Tools, what you're going to need. So you do that 360, go back to the truck, grab whatever tools you're going to be taking in with you. Um, and I think along with those tools comes the cross leg. Yeah. So the next one off would be the cross leg. Pulling that up to um, either the front door if you're going in the front door or if you're going around the side of the house to a side door or a back door or whatever the case may be. You're going to go back to the truck, pull those off, get ready to roll. Mm -hmm. Now, for our personal department, usually when we get a working structure fire of any sort, even if it's just light smoke, we have uh, trucks coming pretty quickly, most of the time, um, or quickly enough. So usually that's why we're having the first truck do these things and not hooking to a hydrant right away um, on these little fires. Just because our second truck is coming in fast enough, the second truck is going to be... Uh, hitting that hydrant and then coming to that main truck. Yep. So, so that's the next one on it is actually setting up a hydrant or a drop tank. Yep. So the next one, uh, your guys are getting ready to go inside. Uh, your 
engineer or your driver is going to be securing a water source, in our case, from the second truck. They're going to hit a hydrant, bring it in, and our pump operator is going to hook it to that truck and make sure we have a good water source. Yep. Um, and if, if you guys couldn't tell, a lot of these are happening simultaneously. So, like, the second truck could be coming in while people are doing their 360, you know. Mm -hmm. So, it not necessarily has to wait for this order to happen by any means. Yep. Uh, the next one happening is that we're going to be making entry into the structure once we have that secure water source. And we're also, at the same time, if, if you have extra personnel on standby outside, they're going to be getting on air packs to make sure that they're ready to go. And then they're also going to be throwing some ladders. Yep. Um, the ladders are super essential if you're working a two-story building. Mm-hmm. That is their egress route. Say they get trapped on the second floor, or if they find a victim or something like that, they need to have those egress routes. Yes. So. Even if the fire's not on the second floor and they, quote-unquote, have no reason to be up there, if there's a victim up there and they get up there, you need to have a way for them to get out of that if their normal path of egress is blocked for some reason. Right. So, what I think we decided, at least one ladder, if not a few, and if at all possible, try to do one on each side of the house. Yeah, so, um, and, you know, if you have a window on each side of the house, the B and D side of the house, put a ladder on each side of the house, just out a window. Mm -hmm. That way they, got, they can have either a quick re egress or if they find a patient or something that can't happen, get them down the steps again, you got a point of exit right there. And if you need to move ladders to a different window for, say, maybe there's multiple windows on that floor, um, at least you have a ladder over there already and you can move it easily. Yeah, it's easy to move it with a couple people or if you're just one person, if it's on the same side, you can just flip it across the across the side of the house. It works pretty well. Yep. And then the last little one we have on Little Fires is um, for those people who are kind of standing around not knowing what else to do um, while everyone makes entry, you know, make sure you have your air packs on, whatnot. Get some tools off the truck. Get a tarp. Uh, and set those tools on that tarp, but you're going to want to set this tarp up, what, somewhere mid-yard-ish, not too far away from the truck, so not too close to the actual house, and just make sure it's not in the way of the hose line. <laughs> yeah, a, that's my only restriction on getting all those tools out, is don't put them in the way of a hose line. Mm -hmm. If uh, your hose line is set up perpendicular to the house, don't put it anywhere in a place where when you pull that hose line, it's going to grab those tools. Yeah. And I think there's not even a too many or too little rule of how many tools to grab out. Yeah. Like, I feel like you can always put stuff away. Yeah. So if you don't know what to do, grab a halligan, grab an axe, grab a chainsaw, whatever you think they may be using. Uh, grab a little giant out. Go ahead and grab that ladder out or yeah. an attic ladder and put it with this tarp. Why not have it ready to go? Ease of access. You yes. don't want to have to look for them. So. Exactly. So just some more little things for people on the outside to do instead of just standing there not knowing what to do. Yep. And then once you really get to the point where you really don't know what to do, you're just prepped with an air pack until an officer tells you what to do next. So yep. that'll get you to the through the first five minutes, I yeah, think. Yeah, that'll probably get you through the first five minutes, if not a little bit more. But again, just so you guys know, this doesn't necessarily happen on our department right now, but this is what Taylor and I would like to see just because... It really turns those first five minutes pretty efficient, and that way the officers don't have to worry about telling each guy what to do, and they already know what they're going to be doing. The officer can know that if they're pulling a cross line off that truck, they've already done a 360 of the house. Yeah. Or if they're looking, you know, if their guys are set up at the front door, our officer already knows that they know this is probably the best way or the easiest way to the fire. They've already looked for victims. You know, they 
all that stuff doesn't have to go through the officer's head. Mm -hmm. um, and they already know what they're doing, so if they do need to modify plans, they already know what their Has firefighters are planning on doing. Yeah. So. And yeah, and it gives people who are coming on that second truck or third truck or whatever extra things to do when they don't know what to do. Yep. So. It just really gets you set up for success. Yeah. So. All right, so now to the big fire. This is going to be a lot of the same, but changing a little bit things. So, I don't know if we actually said what we consist of, what we think a big fire is. It's the couple of rooms, whole floor, full building kind yeah. of involvement. Or anything that's. Anything more than what you guys typically encounter. Yeah. More than what you guys, what your guys' your experience level is. Yeah. I think the number one thing when you pull up to, uh, in my opinion, a big fire. And this can vary. Like I said, this is all objective. This is all officer. But if an officer here were to say big fire, I'd say your number one uh, job is to secure a water source. Yep. You're going to use a lot more water um, putting out this fire than you typically do. Yeah, so even if we do have a second truck on its way or whatever, we're still probably going to have the first truck hit the hydrant. And this is something you guys can do for your little fires if you don't plan on, if you don't expect to have another truck that close behind you. Go ahead and hit water first, you know, and put things out of order just a little bit. Yeah, so for big fire, we're hitting the water source first, whether it be hydrant or dropping a drop tank or whatever. Yep. And this is one of those specific instances where you're since your officer knows what you guys are expecting, he can change that. Yeah. He can say, hey, this is a big fire, but then he can look at his pump operator and say, just stop at the house, we'll wait for the second truck to bring you water. It's not that big. Yeah. So he can change that, but he still knows what, what you, guys, you are guys are expecting to do. Yeah. So. so for us, yeah, big fire, we're going to try to get a source for water first. Second thing we're going to do, then we're going to go to the 360. Yep. Again, 360 is the same thing as a little, little one. You're just looking for best access, points of egress, um, safety concerns, uh, possible victims, that sort of stuff. And on this one, we're going to, on this 360 specifically, we're going to really look at are we actually taking this offensive, defensive, defensive, or a transitional attack on it? Yep. You know, is it a go or no go situation? Yep. Do you start with a two and a half or do you start with an inch and a half? Mm hmm. And that's all going to be stuff you can find on 360 before you even pull cross lays. Because for us, I know we have a two and a half cross lay, and some departments don't. Right. But we do. So we could just go ahead and pull a two and a half cross lay if we know we want to use that one instead of the yep. inch and three quarter. If we got a quote unquote fully involved house. <laughs> be careful when you say that. <laughs> yeah. But if we, if we really do got a one that's out of control and we need to get under control, those guys doing a 360 can easily decide, hey, we're pulling a two and a half on this thing. Or a couple. <laughs> and knock it down from the outside and then bring out a cross layer or break it down and adapt it to an inch and a half. Mm-hmm. So just a, just a little more complicated because there's one more decision in there, but nothing too bad. So. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, the next one is going grabbing that cross layer, grabbing your tool, grabbing the tick. And like Chris said, the inch and a half versus two and a half. After that, you're going to be... The extra people on there are probably going to be pulling more cross lays or putting more hose lines out of some sort. So they're gonna you're gonna have more than one cross lay for sure at this instance. Yep. Um, and all of these cases here that we're talking about, you're gonna want to hit the fire fast, whatever you do. So you know if you're just getting on scene as a second truck or whatever, start getting those hose lines off because you're gonna want to be hitting that fire fast if it's if it's a big fire. Yep. 
Um, and the instance that comes to mind with the two and a half is we actually had a barn fire once that unfortunately I mean it was out in the rural we didn't have a good water source we were running drop tanks and tankers but we just didn't have enough tankers at the time to support it but it would have been really nice to pull a two and a half mm-hmm. on that and we could have easily done a interior on it but we didn't have a water source so yeah it was one of those deals it was big fire but we had to modify things because of a water source mm-hmm. so Alrighty, um, does that cover kind of our five minutes for the structure fire? Yeah, basically the next two things are the same thing as before. Then you're going to be doing entry and ladders, and then you're going to be doing your tools on the tarp. But you're going to be having a lot more lot more hand lines you're going to be running or deck guns or things like that with the big fire. So, And just like I said, the order of things, whereas for our department, we're going to be trying to secure that water source first rather than leave it till the second truck. Yep. So. And again, I... I know I said this before, but it just it makes those first five minutes that much easier. Me having been in an officer position and been there for that first five minutes, you you have enough to think about. You don't want your firefighters coming to you asking every little question. So yeah. All right, moving on to grass fire next. This one's gonna be pretty easy. There's not too much you can really pre-plan for the first five minutes, but we're gonna give you a good a good little start on it. Yeah, a place to start at least. Um, grass fires, it's hard to say what you're going to see in the first five minutes. So, uh, I think we ended up equating it uh, to like a, like maybe an acre or two. Yeah, uh, I'd say like a one to ten acre fire. Oh, yeah. Uh, a fairly small grass fire, but um, even as it expands, the rules kind of stay the same. So, mm-hmm. The first thing you want to do when you're coming up there, find your access point. Um, that's your number one priority. So find your access point and then... Mark it in some way, yeah. if you can. With the, we, uh, I think usually we use a cone or something. Yeah. Um, usually where we enter a field, we'll put out a cone so at least the trucks coming in behind us know where we came in mm-hmm. um, and where that gate's at. Because we have a lot of fenced grassland around mm-hmm. here. So a lot we'll of cows. <laughs> we'll put a cone out. That way it's least visible where the gate's at. So, yeah. um, so find an access point. Um, the next priority is going to be fine in your head fire. Head fire is what drives that grass fire. That's when it's that's where it's moving the fastest, the quickest. In this ideal situation, we're saying we have a small wind. Mm-hmm. But your priority is definitely going to be on finding that head fire. Don't worry so much about the the fingers that are coming out from it. They're not going to move that fast. They can become head fires, yes, but your priority is that main head fire getting that stopped and then the fingers will they'll be a lot easier to put out because they're not going to be wind driven and mm-hmm. stuff like that so so um, that's what your grass rigs typically doing all right so uh yeah i'm done with the grass rigs <laughs> so moving on to t- tankers so what is it honey a tanker or a tender i'm gonna say a tanker i say it's a tanker too <laughs> but what is a tender as I would like this, to, this is on. where the argument begins. What is a tender? Well, I'm gonna use what Jake Hoffman said in the uh, the hot seat challenge that David Mellon from Valor Fire Training did. Uh, is a tender the thing that kids get in their Happy Meals? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. when he said that, that just made my day. <laughs> exactly. No, to me, a tanker is. I'm just so used to calling it a tanker. Everyone around here calls it a tanker. And some people who do more of the wildland firefighting, or you get some of the people who are, and we're way into the fire service, don't get me wrong, but you get people who are way more into it, who are adamant 
adamant that it's a tender, and that if you call for a tanker from anybody, you are asking for a plane. You are asking for a seat to come. And so they are so adamant about calling them tankers, or, you know, tenders <laughs> versus tankers, because to them it's a huge difference. And I do understand that. Out here, we never use planes. Yeah. It just it doesn't happen. We don't have the big fires for that, and when we do, it's... Well, it sounds like we actually almost did for the... For the yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, about but that. they didn't have one in Nebraska, because technically Nebraska doesn't own their own. I think the closest... They're... There's a couple There's an agreement Kansas, between Nebraska, Colorado. South Dakota, and maybe Colorado. Like, there was an agreement there. Yeah. But it was, depending on what time of year it was, is where it was stationed. It was mm-hmm. a big deal. But. So, for here, it wasn't stationed for here over the wintertime. Why would it be? Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so know. it's I a guess, tanker to me. I guess the argument that I see on it is a tanker versus tender, because, I don't know, I'd never get to the airplane... One, if I want an airplane, I'm gonna say, "Hey, someone, give me an airplane or an air tractor or something like that. Give me a spray air plane." Air tractor? Even ever heard of air tractor? No. Oh. <laughs> give me a spray plane or something. I don't know. Anyway, the argument that I always hear is a tender tends to an engine, so it has a pump on it, so it can pump the water to the engine, like a portable hydrant. And a tanker does not have that capability. It just has the ability to move water around. But I still call it just a tanker. Ours has a, has a pump on it. I call it a tanker. Well, I feel like most fire trucks have a tender then, technically. I don't know. Like, I feel like most of them do. Most of them get, probably do around To here. get pressure to go to the grassroots faster. Like, yeah, most of them think do. Yeah, think of a for that, the big 6,000, they can't pump off that. Well, that is basically a glorified oiled semi-thing carrying water. <laughs> <Oil> semi- <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? trucks that carry gas around and stuff like it's a tanker but like it's that except for it's retrofitted to, it, it just it just it, <laughs> it hauls water and not gas right am i wrong that's basically uh, what it is right yes that is what it is <laughs> anyway I back did, to the point i did not know uh vehicles trucks things i don't know it's, it's a hammock it's a what? It's a Hemet. What's a Hemet? It's a fuel tank for airports. It's a motto. What's a motto? Do you want to <laughs> All right. Anyway, back to the question at hand. So tankers or tenders, whichever you want to refer to them as. Chicken nuggets. You uh, haul large amounts of water with them. And whether they have a pump or not, they roll around on wheels. And that's what we're referring to. Yes. <laughs> So, what do you want to tell us about tankers, honey? Uh, first of all, when they get on scene, they're going to figure out where the grass rig is accessing the field at. That's going to be the number one priority. Figuring out where they're actually going to be coming to. Or where the grass rig is going to be coming back to. Uh, then, you're probably going to be looking for... Okay, first of all, is your tanker able to be portable? Are you able to, to quickly pack up and move? Or are you going to have to set up a drop tank? So, there's two different aspects to it here. So, if you're able to, like us... To set up just a two and a half coming off your truck to fill to the grass ring. Because we have a pump on ours. Because we, ha- we have a pump on ours. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you're going to be able to quickly roll up that hose, throw it on the truck, and, and move to a different location 
let's say if the grass rig moves quickly or if to another area, if the fire is moving quickly or if it, the fire starts moving towards you <laughs> yeah. for some reason. So it doesn't quite matter where you almost set up in that distance, even if you're in the way of where it's going to be coming, as long as you're able to quickly pack up and move and you're not being stupid about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the biggest thing I can see here is your tankers want to be to the point of easiest access for the grass rigs. So yes. if that means the grass rigs are going to come back out the same way they went in, that's where you want your tanker to be. If they go in one way and you, you know, there's a gate that's actually closer to where they're fighting the fire, you know, set up there so they can come out closer. They don't have to travel as far. And if they, if you guys are running a drop tank, if you don't have a pump or whatever to go straight from the truck to the other truck, probably try to find a safe spot. Don't go where the head fire is going to be going because it's going to be, a, you, you're not going to be able to move that drop tank very fast. Yeah. So you're going to want to set up on the flanks of the fire somewhere and just kind of out of the way in a safe spot where you can be, but you don't want to be so far away. Right, yeah. they can't get to you. You kind of have to find that happy medium of being safe and being easy to get to. Yeah. And then, yeah, if you're on that tanker then, they make sure you're going to be ready to set up. Your hose is rolled out. Uh, you're circulating your pump if you need to, especially in the colder weather or stuff like that. Just kind of be ready to go. Yep. Otherwise, you just kind of sit and play the waiting game. Mm-hmm. So, uh, most of that talk was just on the debate between tanker and tender. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I think we're moving on to our last little section here of Car X. Yep. Alrighty. So, Car X, they are kind of their own little area here. Uh, own little situation, own little nightmare. I don't know. <laughs> however you want to call that. But, basically, when it comes to Car X, assessment, assessment, assessment. So, when you first pull up both the officer and the firefighters, in my opinion, as you get out of that truck, you're going to have to assess, okay, how many vehicles do I got? How many patients do I got? Mm -hmm. This can be an officer's job, but I believe it's also part of the firefighter's job because as an officer, you're looking for resources. Do I need to call for, you know, more tools from other departments? Do I need to call um, for make sure another truck's coming? Whatever the case may be. As a firefighter, you're looking for a number of vehicles because, you know, you only have, probably only have one set of jaws on your truck. What if you need two sets of jaws or whatever? You need to be looking about that and thinking about that. So, mm -hmm. um, first thing you do getting off the truck is make that assessment. And next thing, part of that assessment is not only number of vehicles, but do you have fire? What, what is the safety situation there? I think before we get to the fire, when you pull up on scene, where are you positioning your trucks? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. This is one for your driver. Accidents happen on roadways. Hundreds of firefighters, unfortunately, get killed on the roadways every year. Mm -hmm. um, I wish that was something that would change because that scares living daylights out of me some days. But make sure you're positioning your trucks to keep your guys safe. If the accident is... Like in our case, our road, our highways around here are only two lane. If that accident takes up both lanes, block off both lanes of traffic with those fire trucks. Mm -hmm. And then angle them towards the side of the road. So if one of those trucks does get hit, it kicks off that vehicle, kicks that vehicle off to the side of the road. Not into your scene. Not into your scene, not into your guys. So, and when you're walking around on roadways, be aware. So one thing I've heard a lot, um, and we don't deal with a whole lot of car wrecks when it comes to bigger highways or anything, 
But if you're on a bigger highway, even a two-lane highway, but if people are usually not used to stopping in that spot, you want to position your trucks, yes, as you're angling them and whatnot, but make sure you're par- parking so far back from the scene, so that way if it does get hit, even if it goes forward for a time, you have plenty of extra room in between the truck and the scene. It's going to be a pain in the butt to keep going back to that truck to get stuff, I understand, but it's going to be so much nicer if somebody hits it, you're going to have all of that leeway. Yeah, you're going to have a bunch of buffer room if that truck does decide to move or give or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, first thing, sorry, I forgot all about that, <laughs> is, uh, yeah, when you pull up there, um, as an officer or a driver, make sure you're positioning those trucks to keep you safe on the roadways. Next was assess um, how many vehicles you got, what resources you need. That's kind of an officer deal, but it can be on the firefighters. Um, as far as the firefighter goes getting off the truck, then you're assessing, do we have any fire? Mm-hmm. And actually, I take that back. That is probably not the first thing. You want to look for the fire, but the first thing you want to do is stabilize that vehicle. Okay, but it's a vehicle's on fire. You can't stabilize that vehicle. You, you can. And by that, I mean just putting wheel chocks in. If the fire is taking up the entire vehicle, why would you want to get up close to the fire? And That would literally be, like, the literal intro to firefighting, going with the fog and, like, putting a chalk underneath. Is that what you would do? If you need to, yes. Because I've seen plenty of videos. I haven't had the of personal rolling experience. Fire of a fire cars. impinging a park brake cable. And that cable giving way. And then this <laughs> flaming vehicle is rolling down the roadway. Yeah, I didn't realize, so even on something that's on fire, you're going to want to check those wheels. So literally, that is like one of the only times I can actually see you actually putting that intro to firefighting fog with somebody going and turning off the propane. That's basically what you'd be doing, right? Right, yeah. Um, And a lot of times, don't get me wrong, a lot of times the actual fire attack and the chalking of the wheels happens at the same time. Okay. But you don't want to leave that vehicle unchecked to where it can impinge something and let that vehicle go rolling because okay. you will have a freaking mess. <laughs> so, um, we'll, we'll call them in the same category. How about that? Okay. So, do you have fire and chalking the tires of that vehicle so it don't roll? Okay. So, if you have fire, yes. You're going to grab a cross layer, a bumper, and start that. If it's no, you're going to move on to the next one. Yep. Which, um, again, it's chalking the tires... Um, and stabilization. Yes. Even if you have patients extricate, um, you got to keep that scene safe for the guys working it, and you can't let things get worse than what they are. Yeah. So, if so, you have oh. a vehicle up on its side, um, maybe you got to get your cribbing out or your struts or whatever you might have to secure that vehicle to keep it from either rolling further or rolling back or crushing another car, whatever the situation may call for. So, when it comes to chalking vehicles, you'd like to do all four for wheels but if you can't just do one and if for some reason you don't have anything to chalk the wheels with in your truck that you have um i know chris you were saying earlier just let out some of the air in the tire yeah just flatten that tire just Um, one not like all of them yeah if you have a valve core valve stem core remover just remove remove that that'll flatten it if you're really in a pinch i know a lot of people don't like it but you can stick that pick of the Allegan through a sidewall of a tire pretty easy, so gonna take a couple swings, but you'll get her. So, wouldn't it make a sound of some sort, like a pop or like? No, just a bunch of air blowing out. Oh, okay, so it wouldn't like scare you. No, nope. my gosh, so. I've never done it. So, <laughs> but yeah, so if if you don't have anything to block those wheels, 
flatten the tires. That'll keep it from rolling. So number of vehicles, do you have fire, stabilization. Uh, next one would be reassessment of extrication. Yeah, I think we determine the next two ones are pretty much happening at the same time. Whether um, extrication as needed for anything that you're doing and disconnecting the battery. Yep. In our department, at least, by this time where we're ready to start doing the extrication, um, we have enough people on team on scene that we can kind of do multiple things at once. So. Yes. So I do think it's important that before you, like, even if you need to open up wherever you're getting to the battery at, that you do not disconnect the battery without telling whoever's extricating. That way, because if a seat can move... Yeah, electric seats, um, windows, uh, there's tons of accessories in cars that yeah. if we need to move something, we don't want to cut those battery cables and then not be able to move those seats or whatever the case Yeah, but that's not saying you can't get ready to do that at a moment's notice. So go ahead and get prepped to do it. And then just, like, relay to them, whoever's doing the extrication, like, hey, is it okay if I do this? Do you want me to do this yet? Or let me know when you want me to do this. Yeah, for sure. And then when you do do that, make sure that you're just trying to just disconnect and not actually cut unless you have to cut those. Just because that way if you disconnect and they're like, oh, I actually need that back, you can actually reconnect it. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. So you're grabbing, making sure you're grabbing tools, battery cutters for that battery disconnection. And then for the extrication, for extra firefighters that are on scene, you're grabbing... The different jaws, if you guys have a power unit for the jaws, unless you guys have the fancy batteries. <laughs> you're grabbing cutters, you're grabbing spreaders, you're grabbing whatever you need. Yeah, your extra guys on scene are kind of going to be gophers. Yeah. And uh, they're going to be manpower when it comes to the actual extrication part of it. So. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, those are some things that people, if they're just kind of around not know what to do, grab some of those extrication tools off and get them, again, get a tarp out if you want to. Put those tools on a tarp next to the vehicle somewhere, not in the way, but nearby. That way they're easy to get to when they need them. Like, for instance, on ours, our cribbing is on on top of one of our trucks. So if we have a rather large car wreck, there's going to be a guy on top of that truck throwing cribbing off Mm -hmm. and getting it piled on the ground so it's easy to get to. Yeah. um, The the last thing I have, I don't know if you have any more notes, but um, it's just... When kind of your those basic things are done, you're working on stabilizing that scene, making sure, yeah, your batteries are cut, um, nothing else is going to start on fire, nothing's going to roll away on you. Mm-hmm. Things are staying where they are or getting better. They're not getting worse. Yeah. So keeping an eye on things and really working outside of it. So um, that's probably, that's honestly probably more than five minutes in a, at a car wreck, but... It can go <clears> really quick, though, because the one, one of the ones I'm specifically thinking of... Um, being on the first truck, it went through this within like three minutes through most of this. So it, it really depends on what you're what you're at. And granted, the extrication hadn't gotten finished yet by that time, but it had already been getting started. So for a firefighter who didn't who wasn't actively involved in the extrication, by this point I didn't know what to do after that. Yeah. But so you can start working on those other things. Yes, so. exactly. Alrighty. That Oof. was the list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, um, like I I know I keep reiterating this point, but these are the first five minutes on these scenes that we, as Taylor and I, really would like to see simplified out and talked out just to avoid the confusion of what's going on, to make those first five minutes more efficient, 
And it take more load off our officers. Oh, yeah. They're going to be able so. to actually think about what they need to think about instead of all the little tasks you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to hopefully trust in you that you can actually get these things done if, if they know you know what you're doing. Yep. If, if you set these clear expectations up beforehand. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully it makes you guys become more efficient. And like I said, you don't have to do it this way at all. Uh, it's just something to think about, especially if you realize that first five minutes on scene is total chaos and it seems like no one knows what they're doing, you know. Yeah, figure out your own plan start, and so. and make up your own little first five minutes for your own department. I We really don't care how you do it, just as long as if you realize it's a problem for you guys like it is for us, start yep. working on it, find a way to work on it. Yep, and this is something that Taylor and I are working through and we're trying to talk to officers about and stuff like that. And it's, like I said, it, it doesn't work this way in our department yet, but... Um, it's definitely something we're working on. So, If nothing else, I know it's something, the more I think about it, first of all, it helps me on a, on a call for what to do, but then I'm also able to tell other firefighters who are kind of either at the same level as me or lower than me, I can give them ideas of what to do, yep. even if it doesn't go through the officer. Yep. But. And we had a conversation earlier about just a lot of us rely on experience mm-hmm. um, to tell us what to do and how to do things and this way even your new firefighters or ones that don't have the experience have a good idea what's going on and what needs to be done all right um hopefully that's organized hopefully it made sense if not hit us up let us know it doesn't make any sense at all and we'll either try to redo it or (laughs) something (laughs) figure something out and uh hey who knows maybe in a year we're gonna have a completely different mindset on what our first five minutes should look like on each scene yeah who knows (laughs) or tell us how your first five minutes goes who knows so with that i think uh i think we're done i think we'll let you guys go for the night anyway thank (laughs) you guys for listening have a good night and uh stay safe thank you Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to leave us a rating and review wherever you're listening to us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Couplings Fire Podcast. See you next time.